Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. How you doing? Joe McCall here. This is the REI Secrets show. And on this show, webinar, podcast, whatever it is, I go live every week and I teach my favorite secrets when it comes to real estate investing. So it's not a call where I necessarily answer a bunch of questions like a normal coaching call. It's typically a call where I go live and I teach something cool, new, and exciting. And it's a lot of fun. I enjoy doing these. I call it the REI Secrets series. So whether you're with, listening on podcasts or watching on YouTube or watching on Facebook, hi. What's going on? Uh, this will be part three of my series that I've been doing the last few weeks on answering the most common lease option questions. So I get a lot of questions about lease options. How do they work? When do you use them? When do you don't use them? What are the biggest mistakes to avoid? What's the right way to do it? Stuff like that. And so I'm going to be continuing this series and answering your most common questions. About a month ago, I did a big class on lease options and I literally got, I don't know, I got a lot of questions and I taken the best of them and I put them here and I'm going to be covering them. Okay. So in the meantime, if you want this book for free, I wrote a book called Simple Lease Options, the easiest and fastest way to do more deals in any market. You can get this book for free just by watching my masterclass on lease options at sloclass.com. If you go to sloclass.com and check out the webinar, it's absolutely free. And at the end of the webinar, I'm going to give you this book for free. It's a PDF book. And I walk through step-by-step step how to do lease option deals, my story, how to find the sellers, how to make the offers, how the paperwork works, how to find the buyers. It's all there. Go to sloclass.com to get my simple lease options book. Cool? All right. You're going to love it. Now, a lot of you guys are watching right now on YouTube and Facebook Live. So hello to you. If you have any questions or comments, please type them in the comments in the YouTube or Facebook and just say hi. Give me a thumbs up. If you're watching this on YouTube, please subscribe to the channel right now. And I'd really appreciate it. Cool. Are you ready to jump into this? Nice. So what I've done here is I have taken all of the questions that I have and I still have a bunch left. So I'm, this will probably be in a four part. I'll do the one more after this. I'm just going to go through and start answering these questions. And Lissandra, hey, how are you? And Warren, how are you? And Tag is asking what kind of camera I'm using. I'm using a Sony A6500, I think, a something, Sony A something hundred. And it's a DSLR camera behind a teleprompter. And I don't know anything else about it. <laughs> I had a friend help me set it up. Okay, let's dive into the questions, shall we? This is a question. And again, I just copied and pasted these questions that are in no particular order. I might have answered them already before, but I'm just going to go through it again. And these are questions specifically related to lease options, okay? This question, even though you are a realtor, do you still advertise a market through a realtor? Uh, the answer is yes. So one of the things I teach is when, you were, when you're finding a tenant buyer for your property, that's one of the first things you should outsource. You don't want to be taking calls all day from tenant buyers and showing the homes and all of that. So you're going to outsource it. Why not outsource it to a realtor? So many investors are afraid for whatever reason to work with agents. I think it's one of the best ideas ever. So you should hire an agent, a leasing agent to find tenants tenant buyers for you. So even though you are, if you are a licensed agent, yes, hire a leasing agent to find you tenants. Okay. What insurance, what is the insurance a tenant must carry to be a tenant lease option buyer? 
and the seller. So I'm not an insurance expert, but what I do know is I require my tenants to get just typical renter's insurance. Um, they, in fact, I don't, re- I don't know if I required or just strongly suggested. I think the lease has it as a requirement, but it's not like I'm going to evict them if they don't have it. But it's a really, really, really good idea for tenants to get renter's insurance, which is covers all of their belongings. Now, the cool thing about lease options is I don't take the risk of actually owning the property. I just control it. So the owner who still owns the property, they have to convert their insurance to a landlord policy, which isn't a big deal. Homeowners do that all the time. It usually doesn't cost anything more, maybe just a little bit every month. But you know, if they were living in the house at one time, and now it's a rental property, they need to convert their policy to a landlord policy. And this is in my checklist. It's really important that you review this with the seller and you confirm that it's done. Okay. What's the update on the restrictions for texting or slide dialing seller leads? Can we still do it? So slide dial, there's a difference between slide dial and slide broadcast. Okay. This is a company that does this with ringless voicemails. I don't recommend doing slide broadcast unless these are existing customers you already have a relationship with, okay? Slide dial is a little different. Slide dial is just one at a time sending a personalized voicemail to somebody. I'm not a legal expert on this, but I still think that's okay. Where you're calling one person from one phone number and you are leaving a personalized voicemail for them. And so what it does is it leaves them a voicemail without ringing their phone. So it would be, hey, Jim, I'm just, I just saw your property here on 123 Main Street. I sent you a text and I'm wondering if you would be interested in renting it out or selling it or something like that. Again, I'm not a ringless voicemail expert. There's are, are a lot of people getting in trouble with that, but they're getting in trouble because they're sending out, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of them at a time and they're not personalized. So you just, I don't know, make sure you're doing it right. Make sure you're doing it the right way. Um, are there any YouTube videos on best practices on how Joe uses both FreedomSoft and PropStream? Yes, I do have some of those videos. I do have a lot more videos in my course, but um, I use FreedomSoft and PropStream every day for our deals. I love it. I use it all the time. And so if you go to my channel, and you just go to YouTube to search for Joe McCall, uh, you'll see some videos of me talking about FreedomSoft and PropStream in there. And if you, I was, when I first started this REI Secrets series, I did a bunch of videos on this, and I'm going to be doing some more. So yes, they're in my course. There's also some videos on my YouTube channel. So just go to my YouTube channel, do a search for FreedomSoft, and you'll find some good videos in there. If I have an assistant for five hours per week, what's the most important work I can have her doing? Great question. Simple, easy answer, marketing. That's it. You're not in the real estate investing business, you're in the marketing business. So you should be having your VAs do marketing. They should be bringing you leads. In fact, tomorrow, I think it is, I'm doing a virtual conference Zoom call with some investors from Israel that are doing remote virtual wholesaling in the United States. I'm looking forward to that. Haim is a good friend of mine. Haim Palami, I believe his last name is. I always get that mixed up. Sorry, Haim, if you're watching this. But he's from Israel. Cool guy. We did a course together called MLS Hacks probably five, six years ago. And I got this idea from him and I loved it. He had a virtual assistant. He had three different virtual assistants emailing realtors in three or four different markets. So every day his VAs would send one or 200 emails to realtors of older listings, properties on the MLS that needed work. And he would send emails saying, hey, I saw your property on Zillow at 123 Main Street. You know, we might be able to, it was listed for a hundred grand. Um, you know, we might be able to offer 60 grand if your client is interested, attached as a proof of funds let me know. And so these VAs would send these emails for him to these realtors and he would get deals from it. Yes, have your VAs do marketing. You know, your VAs could do text messages. They could do letters even if you use click to mail. Um, if there's a there's a service through called Print Genie. Print Genie, if you have a pay a monthly subscription, they can do one-off letters for you. So you could do one-off letters to rentals 
You can have a VA scrape properties from Zillow, from Craigslist, from Facebook Marketplace, send messages for you. Um, I've had VAs that will go and look for evictions and judgments from court records, put them in a spreadsheet, give them to another virtual assistant who is local and have them handwrite 20 yellow letters a day. So yeah, if you got a VA, all you have is five hours a week. I don't know if that's enough, but yes, have them do marketing, period. That's it. That's number one. Number two thing you should have your VAs do is update your CRM for you, okay? If you're using FreedomSoft, and hopefully you are, have the VA be your FreedomSoft expert. Have the VA update FreedomSoft for you. And then the third thing you should have your VA do is follow-up. They should be doing all of your follow-up so you don't have to worry about any of that. All right, how do you arrange a property management? How do you arrange property management for out-of-state deals that you may never go to? First of all, if you're doing lease options, I don't think you need a property management company unless you have a bunch of them, okay? That's a great thing about lease options. They're super easy to uh, manage. You're not going to have the maintenance and repairs and the vacancies that you'd normally do with regular rentals. So I don't think you need a property management company. You should be able to do it yourself. Or what I recommend, what I do is have my assistant manage the properties for me. But if you have to get an out-of-state property manager, just look for them. I mean, they're out there. There's tons of them. Do you have a title seasoning issue with the double closes that you mentioned? I believe the rule is that after you close, you must hold title for 90 days. Great question. I already answered that in part one of this Q&A series. So I'm not going to spend much time in it right now. But yeah, if it's, first of all, you want to make sure you're working with a good mortgage broker and a good title company that understands what lease options are and how to do them. Okay. And when you do that, it makes everything so much easier because they're going to tell you how to handle this. Number one, it doesn't, the, your tenant buyer doesn't have to get an FHA loan, which is typically the loan that requires a 90 day seasoning. Not maybe there's other, maybe it's Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. I don't know. So maybe it's, they're doing the same thing with conventional and non-conventional loans. I don't know, but you need a mortgage broker. And so what do you do then? Number one, you may have to do a subject two for 90 days. Okay. Number two, maybe you use private money. You close on the deal for 90 days. Number three, maybe you just remove yourself, put a lien on the property, remove yourself. Now it's a new contract between the seller and the tenant buyer, and you get paid on the HUD as a revocation of option or um, an assignment of interest, or I've seen it called different things, an option release, things like that. So just have that conversation in advance with the title company, with the mortgage broker and ask them, how do we do that? There are ways around it, okay? And again, the mortgage broker could just find a bank that doesn't have 90-day seasoning. What would it be like to market to expired listings compared to FISBOs? I think you should do both and not either or. Market to expireds, market to FISBOs, market to landlords and rentals, yes. Do I need to be a realtor? If I am a realtor, do I need to disclose? Yes, always, 100%. Now, <laughs> Technically, maybe some real estate commissions or brokers require you to, to disclose that you're an agent in all of your marketing. So yeah, if you have to do that, then do that. I don't. I mean, maybe I should, but I think it's really stupid, so I don't do it. But when the, when I talk to them, I let them know I'm a realtor, okay? It's on my website, but when I only have this little postcard that I'm sending out, I'm buying these things. I'm buying them by owner and I'm selling them by owner. Sometimes I'm keeping them. So I don't need to... Um, I don't think for me personally, I don't disclose in my outbound marketing that I am a realtor because I'm not looking for listings. I'm looking to buy properties. But as soon as I talk to the seller, as soon as I, any, all of my contracts and paperwork, I disclose that I'm an agent, but this is a non-brokered transaction. Okay. I'm not using agents to help with this. All right. Let's see how the comments are coming in. We're getting some good comments. The Silent Seawolf. Good afternoon. What's going on? Manny. Hey, Joe, king of lease options. What's up, Manny? Thank you. 
Stevi Mitchell. Hey, McCall, do you get your lists from the county? I get my lists from PropStream, propstreamjoe.com. Hey, Lenny, how you doing? Thank you. Manny, this is the perfect storm for lease options. I totally agree. I think you're right. Robert, how you doing? Good to hear you, hear from you, see your voice. Bruce, got a question. What's your best lead source for lease option assignments? Uh, rentals, landlords on, what do you call it? People that are advertising their properties for rent on Zillow, Facebook Marketplace, et cetera. Because these are already nice homes. They don't need any work and uh, they're vacant. And I also like for sale by owners. Cool. Al, how are you? James, thanks for being here. Cool. Robert, are you just going to landlords? Or are you also looking at low equity homes? Both, yes. So Ed, I see your comment about Max Maxwell has a program. Whoa, where did I go? He's got, hey, he's got a program about ringless voicemail. Yeah, so here's the thing. Ringless voicemail works, but you can get into big trouble if you make somebody mad. So don't do it. Al, when it comes to documents getting signed, do you use DocuSign? No, I use FreedomSoft. FreedomSoft, I can get them signed electronically right then and there in FreedomSoft. Alvin, you mentioned getting your list from PropStream. Is it better for lead generation than FreedomSoft? I kind of, yes, maybe. Depends, right? Like PropStream is going to give you more options for leads. You know, they just have a much, much bigger database. FreedomSoft is still really good. FreedomSoft is better for, you know, like just absentee owners or just vacant properties. So I use both. I don't know if that's a good answer, but that's what I do. Okay, next question from the questions submitted in advance. I would like to know more about what it really costs on a monthly basis to do the marketing, including the software costs, phone numbers, text charges, skip tracing, VAs, assistance, et cetera. Okay, monthly basis. So that's a hard question to answer because it depends on how much marketing you're doing. I would say in general, you're spending one to $2,000 in marketing per deal in most markets, okay? One to $2,000 in marketing per deal that you're doing. Now, unless you're doing Google pay-per-click or you're doing a lot of direct mail, that could get up to two, three, four thousand $4,000 in marketing per deal. That includes your CRMs, your VAs, your marketing channels, et cetera, et cetera. But when you're making 10 to 20 grand on a deal, it makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. And it all depends on how much follow-up you're doing as well. So you got to be doing follow-up. Generally speaking, you know, I tell people you should have at least a minimum budget of 500 to $1,000 a month on marketing. Okay. Joe, you mentioned on another video that you have some people locking up lease options under a contract and then using the property for Airbnbs. Could you please elaborate? Yeah, so I'm not an Airbnb expert, but I do know a lot of students that are using what I teach on lease options and are, you know, because then when you have it under a lease option, you can do whatever you want with it for five years as long as you're paying the monthly payments, right? So why not turn it into an Airbnb? Yeah. Hi, Joe, I'm working on letters. Can you give a snapshot of the verbiage we use? Okay, when it comes to letters, keep it super simple, very personal, okay? And what I like to do is when I, I've used this a lot where I send a letter from my wife. My wife is sending a letter. So, you know, hey, Jim, my husband and I are looking for a property that we can buy in the area. We saw that you have your house at 123 Main Street. You wouldn't be interested in maybe selling it, would you? Thanks, Victoria, and phone number. All right, so it's my husband and I are looking for buy a property. Maybe it's an expired listing or for sale by owner. So we might say, um, hey, Susie, my husband and I are looking for an investment property that we can lease for a year and then buy. If that would work for you, please call me. Maybe I wouldn't say investment property. I'd just say my husband and I are looking for a property that we can maybe lease for a year or two and then buy. If that would work for you, please give me a call. Phone number. Super simple, very personal. Those are the kinds of letters I like to send. And let me say something else. If you can, take the letter after you write it up and crumple it all up. 
and then fold it back out, put it in an envelope, and then mail it. Why do you do that? It just gets more open rates. You get a higher response rate, okay? They're going to feel this envelope that's kind of thick, crunchy a little bit, you know? They open it up. They see a crumpled up paper that's been folded. It piques their curiosity. You know, they open it and they read it. It's just going to get a higher response rate. More people are going to read it. That's why I recommend, if you can, crumpling up the letter. And maybe if you want to be funny, you say something like there, you know, say something like, you know, please don't throw me away again or something like that. How does the paperwork flow and the cash move on a wholesaling lease option deal? Okay, that would take me 10 minutes to answer. That's why I wrote the book. Okay, check out the book, Simple Lease Options. Wholesaling Lease Options is basically where you wholesale a deal. You know what? In fact, I wrote another book here called Wholesaling Lease Options, and you can get that book at wlobook.com. Boom, how do you like that? You can buy this, just pay shipping and handling. It's free. The book is free. I'll send it to you. Just pay seven or eight bucks in shipping and I'll get you that book. But Wholesaling Lease Options talks all about how those deals work. Cool. All right, let me go back to the questions and move on. Where'd they go? Here we go. When you get a tenant buyer, who's responsible for the repairs? A couple of different things. Okay, first of all, when I give my contract to the seller on a lease option, I tell them, listen, I'll be responsible for all the maintenance and repairs under $500 a month. And the seller will be responsible for everything everything above that. Then when I put a tenant buyer in it, I make the tenant buyer responsible for all the day-to-day maintenance and repairs under $500 a month. Okay, so if something if doesn't something happens, something breaks, the air conditioning breaks, well, that goes to the seller. I'm not responsible for under, I'll cover the first 500 bucks. The seller covers everything above that. The thing you could do is you could buy a home maintenance warranty to cover those more expensive appliances. That's going to be three, four, 500 bucks, maybe probably well worth it. Sometimes the tenant buyer won't fix something. So if the tenant buyer doesn't do it, you have to do it. So that's, you know, you're kind of responsible for that. You can deduct it or you add it to the price of the home when they buy it. I have language in my contract that says, Mr. Seller, if you don't fix something and I do that you're supposed to pay for, I get a credit back times two when I buy the house. So if if it's a $2,500 repair that I have to do, I'll pay for it. But then I'm going to get a $5,000 credit when I buy the house in one or two or three years. Does that make sense? So if the AC goes out and it's 120 degrees outside, seller doesn't want to fix it, tenant buyer is not going to fix it, you're going to have to fix it because you're, you're in the middle, you're the landlord of this deal or else you're going to get in trouble with the judge. You know, So you got to fix it, but you got to make sure you have the money saved for that, which isn't a big deal. Then when you fix it, you get that credited back to you times two from the seller when you buy the house. Make sense? Oh, there's another part to that question. Rent that they pay does not get credited. Does that get credited towards the total amount that they agreed to pay? Yes. Yeah, so sometimes I do have rent credits, although I don't call them rent credits. They're seller concessions. So I tell this tenant, if you pay your rent on time every month, I'm going to give you a $3,000 credit at closing. Okay. Or I'm going to give you $200 a month at closing. And it, all it does is reduce the price of the home. It doesn't go towards our down payment. What are the contracts between you and the seller and between you and the tenant buyer? Okay, I answered this before. I'll answer it again real quick. The seller and I are going to have either a one-page contract or a three-page contract. I have two different ones. If I'm doing a, a wholesaling lease option assignment deal, I have a one-page contract that's a, that's the lease and the option together. If it's a sandwich lease option where I'm staying in the middle, I have a simple three-page letter, three-page contract that I give them where it's between it's a lease and an option together where I'm going to be the tenant buyer. Okay. When I find a tenant buyer and I'm putting a tenant buyer in the house, I have a separate lease and a separate option agreement with them. Okay. And there's other things like seller's disclosure statement, lead-based paint. I may, I might have a pet agreement or an animal pet agreement thing that I might do. Some people do a purchase and sale agreement at the very beginning. I don't think you have to do that, but you could if you wanted. Is there a place where you have any recorded seller calls that we can listen to? I think that would be very helpful. Yes, I have a lot of them in my Simple Lease Options course. 
So again, if you go to sloclass.com, sloclass.com, you see my, my webinar. If you get my course, I have a lot of recorded seller calls in there. How do you set up your criteria to pull a list for lease option deals if you're using PropStream or ListSource? Okay, there's not really anything different in pulling a list for lease option deals. And again, my marketing is not necessarily looking for lease option deals. I'm looking for deals. I'm looking for motivated sellers that have a house they need to sell. Okay. Motivated sellers make your job so much easier. So you're not doing marketing for lease option deals, right? I'm not talking to sellers trying to get them to do a lease option. I'm talking to sellers just trying to see what their situation is. Why do they need to sell their house? Why don't they just list it with an agent? You know, what's the least they would take? What's the lowest that I'd be willing to, that, that they would be willing to sell it that I could maybe buy it for? And if they want too much for the property or if there's not enough equity, then I talk about a lease option, okay? If they're not in a hurry to sell it, then I talk about a lease option. If price is more important to them and they're okay to wait, then I talk about a lease option. Make sense? Sometimes I'll make them a cash offer. If they say no to that, then I offer a lease option offer. So I don't really pull a list for lease option deals. I just pull a list to motivated, potential motivated sellers. How do you do lease options in Texas? Well, you can't do sandwich lease options in Texas. Well, you can actually, but you can't do them longer than six months. But you can do lease option assignments all day long in Texas. So there's a bonus module in my course that talks about how to do them in Texas. I recommend you check out, if you are in Texas, I recommend you check out my friend, John Jackson, who's been doing lease options in Texas for years, lease option assignments, and uh, just Google him. He's all over. He's a good guy. He's kind of funny too. Don't tell him I said that. Do you require your tenant buyer to purchase a home warranty? No, I don't require it, but you can if you want. I think it's a good idea. I think somebody should buy it, right? Sometimes the seller buys it. Sometimes I buy it. Sometimes the tenant buyer buys it. What's the percentage of equity that you'll stay on in a sandwich lease option deal? I want to see at least 15% equity on a lease option deal. Sometimes I might take 10% if it's a really hot market, but I want to see at least 15% equity in a lease option deal for me to stay in the middle on a sandwich lease option, right? And that's really about, if you tell a seller, you know, if I can get you the same equity you would get if you sold with a realtor, would, would you be interested in that? And that's about 15% or 85% of the deal. Does that make sense? After step three, talking to sellers, when you say you're going to send them information with references, is that what you send is that when you send the offer? And is this what you are talking about when saying that? Okay, so when I talk to a seller, I send an offer to every single seller. And I've done other videos on this and are in REI Secrets, but I like to send, if it's a cold lead, you know, they're not ready now. And that's most of them. I'm gonna send them a three option letter of intent. And it's gonna give them a cash offer, a lease option offer, an owner financing offer, or maybe just a sandwich lease option offer and a wholesaling lease option offer. Sometimes just a cash offer, just depends on the deal, right? But sometimes on a lease option, I'll send references. You don't have to do this, but, and these aren't references of other sellers that you've done deals with. This could be a mortgage broker that you've done the business with, a mortgage broker on your team. It could be an attorney, a title company, another realtor, a property management company, maybe a, a banker for whatever reason, maybe a couple different mortgage brokers that you work with, a credit repair company. Maybe if you have a private investor that that's lent you money on deals before. If a seller says that they want to see references of other sellers that I've talked to, I said, listen, I'm not going to give you their information. I mean, if every seller that I did a deal for I gave their phone numbers out. They'd be getting tons and tons of calls. So I just don't do that. But I said, it doesn't sound to me like you're interested in doing a lease option then. So why don't you just list it with an agent? Why don't you just list it with a realtor? Make sense? All right, good. In a simple lease option or sandwich lease option deal, would you say you had any ownership in the property? No, I don't think so. Because I'm leasing it. I'm just a tenant buyer. I have a leasehold interest, not an ownership interest. Okay. So it is some equitable interest in the property, but it's no, no ownership. The title stays in the seller's name. I'm just leasing a property. I'm a tenant buyer with the right to sublease it out to someone else. It's kind of like a master lease, okay? 
Okay, this is an interesting question. Um, I called a house in, I found in Florida. The owner, I told the owner that we were looking in the area for a house we might rent for a year or so and then buy. He said first he has heard of this but didn't know how the process goes. And then he asked me, why not just buy it now? What would have been the best approach here? That's a great question. I would say to the seller, well, if I did buy it now, if I did make you an offer to buy it now, what's the least you'd take? Is that the lowest you'd go? Can you go any lower than that? Oh man, really? How'd you come up with that number? I'm just curious. Sound disappointed, listening, right? Do you think that's a fair price for this crazy market right now? Let me ask you something. If you were in my shoes and you were an investor looking for a property to buy, would you buy your house at that price? If they say they want 100, that's the least they'd take. They feel like if they say they want 100, that's the least they would take. Then I would ask them, if I came to your house right now with a briefcase full of $75,000, would you not take it for your house? Okay, so I'm trying to get them to the bottom line number. And basically they'd say, I say, I will buy your house, but you're probably not going to like my offer, all right? But I can pay you more if you'd be willing to carry some of the financing or do some terms, creative terms like owner financing or lease purchase, okay? If I can get you that price that you want, Mr. Seller, would you be willing to lease it for a year or two and then let me buy it? Well, why don't you just go buy it now? I would, but I work with private investors and I, when I buy properties, I have to buy them at pretty significant discounts, like 60, 70 cents on the dollar. So I can make you cash offer. I can buy it, but I'm not going to be your retail buyer. I'm just looking for investment properties, okay? Again, you should probably list it with a seller, with a, with a real estate agent, Mr. Seller. So I pull away. I take my offer away. If they're not interested, not motivated, don't want to do a deal yet, that's fine. Not a big deal. Cool. I'm just looking at comments on YouTube and Facebook here. What's good, Joe? Or that's good, Joe? I wouldn't, would stay, but I'm at work. Love the course. Thanks. All right. Thank you. Can you tell me what real estate contracts you use? Well, those are in my course, LA Mike. Those are in my course. Uh, also, are you still doing partnering with Joe? Yes. Uh, go to partnerwithjoe.net if you're interested in that. Partnerwithjoe.net. Uh, Robert, crumpling up is awesome advice. The letters. I did that after you and Larry did the small town training. I get awesome calls back on that. That's awesome. Al, can you do lease options on duplexes? Yes and no. The problem is you can't put a tenant buyer in a duplex. A tenant buyer is not going to buy the duplex. You want to, it's like more like a master lease with the option to buy it in the future. So you would just sell that contract as long as it cash flows, you'd sell it to another investor and then you'd be out of the deal. On that same note on the duplexes, which ones would be the best to do lease options on? I don't know if I can answer that. Well, Al, like you typically don't do lease options on multifamilies. You know, you can, it has to cash flow. I would recommend doing just a regular straight up option on a multifamily. All right, Manny. Thanks to your lease options course, my first deal is the house that I live in now. In less than eight months, I have $80,000 in equity. Thank you, Joe. I highly recommend your course. Wow. That's awesome. Love it, Manny. That's great. That is so cool. It makes my day, Manny. Appreciate it. So he's did a lease option on his own existing residence, which I've done. And in eight months, he has over $80,000 in equity. Oh, that's beautiful. Chuck, how do you make the transition from your one to two year lease with the seller to five to 10 years that you're looking for? That's where I give them options, Chuck. I say, listen, I can get you one to two years, but it's going to be at this price. If you want that price, I can give you five to, I can get you that price if you're willing to wait five to 10 years. So I give the sellers options. Okay. I just use at the beginning one or two years to get my foot in the door. And I will do a lease option for one or two years, but it's going to be at a lower price. If they want more time than that, then I'm going to need more. If one to two years, if they're okay with waiting five years, then I'll give them a higher price. Does that make sense? It's price or terms. So I, it's all negotiable. I can give them the price they want if they give me the terms that I want. I can give them the price they want if they give me the terms I want. Did I say that right? All right, good. 
Uh, you mentioned at one time companies that screen tenant buyers. How do I get that information? I give you in my course the companies that I use for tenant screening, but you can also, I mean, just Google. I recommend networking with people at your local real estate clubs and find out who they use. Okay. A great question here. Why would sellers agree to do a lease option when our market is on fire and there's bidding wars happening anywhere, everywhere, any, every day? What I would say, are you sure there are bidding wars happening? I mean, like every, here's the thing. Somebody give me a market right now. I'm going to show you some proof that the market's not as hot as you think it is. Somebody in the comments right now, give me a market that you're looking at, that you're investing in, that you're working on. I'm going to give you guys a minute to type it in the chat. Type it into the Facebook or the YouTube's chat. Okay, San Jose, California. One of the hottest markets in the country. All right, let's go there. San Jose, California. I'm going to share my screen here. All right, there's San Jose. I'm going to remove the outline and actually zoom out a little bit. All right. Great market. There's 2,800 homes on the market there. Now, if San Jose is such a hot market and all you need to do is stick a sign in the yard and you sell your properties above asking price in days, why would anybody want to do a lease option? Then surely there would not be any homes that have been on the market over 60 days, right? So let's look at houses, townhouses, condos. Let's do time on Redfin more than 60 days. There are 505 homes in this area right now in South Bay that have been on the market over 60 days. This is from Redfin. All right, so you might say, well, let's exclude the really, really expensive homes. So San Jose, I don't know what a really expensive home is there. Let's exclude anything above 2 million. All right now there's 298. And let's also remove any new construction. Sometimes they will put properties on here that are just been built or they haven't even been built yet. All right, so just in this area, there's 240 homes priced under $2 million in the South Bay area that has been on the market over 60 days, two months. The market's white hot right now. I thought all you had to do is stick a sign in the yard and you could sell your houses lightning fast above asking price. Well, then why are there still 240 homes on the market? This looks like a nice house right here, 1.4 million. Doesn't need any work. Why isn't this house sold yet? It's been on the market 60 days. Let's go here to page five. Here's a house in Santa Cruz near the ocean, 1.5 million. 1,500 square foot house. You people in California are crazy. But look how beautiful, nice this house is. Why hasn't this house sold yet? It's like five blocks from the beach. It's crazy. It's beautiful. Here's a house for 850, 575. Why hasn't this thing sold? Okay, that's way out in the Diablo Grande. <laughs> that's like way out there. But why hasn't that house sold yet? Oh, this looks like a great, this might be a townhouse or something for sale by owner. They're asking 730. Why hasn't it sold yet? Because they're asking too much. Well, don't you think some of these houses are going to be vacant? Do you think maybe if they got a vacant house, they're making a mortgage payment on it? And if you contact them and say, hey, listen, if I can get you that price that you're trying to sell it for, would you be willing to lease option it for a year or two first and then sell it? This house is vacant. They're asking $999,000 on it. I don't know if that's a good area or not. It looks kind of far away, but um, you know, they might be tired. It's been on the market 116 days. This market is white hot and I haven't sold this thing yet. They might be getting motivated. You make an offer, you follow up. Chances are they're not going to sell this thing unless they lower their price or they do some kind of creative financing on it. So even in the one of the hottest markets, most expensive markets in the United States, there are still a ton of homes. Now, if I zoom out, now there's 920. I'm in Modesto and Stockton. Let's go up to Sacramento. This whole area here, 1,300 homes under $2 million that haven't sold yet in, over, in, in under 60 days. Okay, so they're out there. I just wanted to show that to you to prove my theory. Clear as mud? I could do that for every market in the county, in the country. Oh, Deborah says, you, you like to pick on California. I used to live there. I was born there. That's why I can do that. 
Why don't you pick on a state your own size? <laughs> Deborah, that's funny. Oh, I love California. I just would never want to live there. Chuck makes a great point here. You can't get enough rent to cover the mortgage. Then I maybe won't do the deal. Or I make the seller color cover the difference. If it's a motivated seller and their mortgage payment is $4,000 and the rent is only $2,500, I'm not going to pay the difference, right? I'll pay the seller $2,500. Seller pays. Wouldn't the seller rather pay an extra $1,500 a month than $4,000 a month? Okay, yeah, why not? And maybe I will pay the mortgage payment of four grand a month if the seller reduces their price. If it's worth a million dollars, I'll pay $4,000 a month, but I'm going to buy it for $500,000. I don't know, something like that, okay? <laughs> Bunch of people are commenting about California now. I, let's be nice to Californians. Next question. I have a new LLC. How do you present yourself to a seller as yourself or use the name of the LLC? Okay, so when I'm talking to a seller, it's me. I'm the, I'm the Joe Blow investor, the average Joe. And when it comes to the paperwork and the contracts, I use my LLC then. Yeah, so you should put all your contracts in your LLC. I think I'm going to get through these questions in one part three. I don't think I need to do a part four. So let's move on. What if the house does not appraise when it's time for financing? How do we handle this? Do we renegotiate with the seller? Maybe. That's the great thing about lease options. It's just an option. You don't have to buy it. So if the price drops, you can walk away. I mean, worst case, you've been cash flowing three, four, five hundred a month. All right. And the tenant buyer who's in the house, you should tell them you should be glad you didn't buy this house because you had an option to buy it for $750. Now it's worth $650. Aren't you glad you didn't buy it? Right? That's the seller's problem. So, but you could go back to the seller and renegotiate. Or you can negotiate more time. So let's say you know you have a you have an option to buy it for seven fifty. It's only worth six fifty. You could say to the seller, "Well, this is I'm getting good cash flow on this. Obviously, I can't buy it. I don't want. I'm not going to buy it now because it's you know. So I can give you the house back, or you can give me more time. I'll continue paying the mortgage. Give me more time, and then uh, I'll buy it when it does appraise for whatever the option price is. And it's the same with the tenant buyer. Okay. The seller still receives depreciation with the property since we only have a lease and not technically the owner. Correct. All the income we received is taxed as ordinary income. I think so. When it comes to taxes, talk to an, a tax attorney advisor. I'm not a tax guy. But yeah, I think so. That's one of the drawbacks for a lease option. When you're doing a subject two, I think technically you can get the depreciation on that. So I really appreciate how you explain things. Could you explain again what a wraparound lease option is and how it works? So a, a wraparound in my mind, when I think about it, it's like when you when you buy a property with owner financing or you buy a property subject to the existing mortgage, you create a new mortgage that wraps around the existing mortgage. So it doesn't really apply to lease options. You know, a wraparound is where, again, you, you, you sell a house on a land contract or a contract for deed or owner financing on owner financing terms, but that mortgage wraps around another mortgage. So the B to C, the end buyer, is actually paying the mortgage on the A to B agreement, kind of technically. Does that make sense? Who do you recommend to send out your direct mail, direct marketing or your offers? Okay, so I use Click2Mail to send my direct mail because I can do it right inside of FreedomSoft. Uh, there's another service I'm looking at. It's called Print Genie. It's, I think Go Big Printing does it. So if you Google Go Big Printing Print Genie, you should find a service. And I'm looking at them. I, I, I might start using them. Well, I don't know if I'm going to get to all these questions, actually. Now that I'm looking at it, I am not going to get through them all. So I think it might be a good time to wrap it up. Because there are so many good questions in here. I'm getting a lot of good comments and feedback from people. Somebody is asking about question from Al. Would you consider doing a lease option on a property with a tenant already in place? I would if the um, there was good cash flow in the deal and there was good equity. Okay, because you got to remember too that tenant buyer who's in the house right now, you have to keep them in there until their lease expires in a couple years or one year or whatever. So if you're willing to take on that risk, 
of being responsible for this mortgage payment on somebody that you did not place in the property, then yeah, that might be good. But again, as long as there's equity and good cash flow. Um, and you know, the, the chances of that tenant who's living in the house to actually want to buy it is slim to none. So you just got to be aware of that. Yeah, hope that helps. Deborah's got a good point here. Good uh, uh, observation. For properties where mortgage is greater than the rent, think about adding a granny flat or an ADU. And an ADU is an accessory dwelling unit, like a little tiny house to the property. Or doing a short-term rental. Often, um, short-term rentals make a poop load more than long-term rentals, two or three times more. Yeah, you're right. And also, I know guys that uh, rent properties that rent properties by the room. Um, so you could rent a property by the room and you could add, you know, add some ADUs or little tiny houses onto the property, turn it into an Airbnb to get more. There's a lot of things that you can do creatively, especially in California. You need to think more about these types of things. Thank you, Deborah, for that. All right, so good. I'm pooped. Speaking of poop, I am tired. So I'm pooped. I need to, uh, let's wrap this up. All right, guys, I appreciate you. Don't forget, if you want my book, Simple Lease Options, for free, you can get it where? At sloclass.com, sloclass.com. The easiest and fastest way is to do more deals in any market. All right, go check it out. Get it free. It's a PDF. You can get it after you watch the webinar, the master class. And in that class, I'm going to teach you how to get more leads than you can handle for free. I'm going to teach you how to make offers to sellers, how to sell your properties lightning fast to a hungry pool of buyers. I'm going to show you in that webinar at sloclass.com of how you can offer sellers whatever price they want, as long as they're willing to wait for it, which is a beautiful thing. That's the reason why I love lease options. You can go from getting one out of 30 offers accepted if you're doing cash deals to three out of 30 if you're willing to give the seller options. If you're willing to say, here's a cash offer, here's a lease option offer, here's an owner financing offer, whatever, you're going to be able to do more deals than all your competition because now you have more tools in your tool belt. So this is a great strategy. Recommend you get the book. Go to sloclass.com. Cool, guys. I appreciate it. I appreciate all of you. And uh, we will see you guys later. Take care. 